lots and lots of people I don't know were suddenly on the streets looking for, I want to say my dog, but our dog, Baltimore's dog. Listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. If you consider your dog a family member, then this podcast is for you. Let's celebrate the love and connection we have with our dogs. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. This is a place for us to connect in the joy of loving our dogs, and also a place where you know you're not alone in the difficult times or in the sadness of missing a dog that was an important part of your life. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Happy holidays and welcome to episode 19 of the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Erin Scott, and also, most importantly, dog mom to Penny and Nino. I'm really excited for you to hear our episode today. I got the chance to speak with Caitlin Thomas, who is the founder of the Finding Knox organization based here in Baltimore, Maryland. And Caitlin's story reminded me of exactly why I wanted to start this podcast, because I wanted to share with you stories of how the love of a dog can change our lives and can sometimes even change the world. In the first episode of the podcast, I shared with you my story of how I went from a reluctant dog mom who only adopted a dog because I was trying to be a good fiance to my future husband. But somehow when we adopted our first dog, Lucy, who is memorialized in the Believe in Dog podcast logo, everything changed and nothing was ever the same again, but in a good way. And it didn't happen overnight necessarily. But through the love of Lucy, I was introduced to a whole community of people who are all playing a role in making Baltimore a better place for pets and their people. And actually, Caitlin and I will mention some of these people and organizations in our talk today. Names like Kate Callahan, who is a longtime pit bull advocate here in Baltimore and helped start the Jasmine's House Rescue. The Project Mickey program, which is a humane education program in Baltimore City Public Schools. Pauline Holiaris, who is the president of Be More Dog, the organization that I volunteer with. And Annie Pruitt, who you heard in episode six of the Believe in Dog podcast, who is the founder of the Charm City Companions organization in Baltimore. And it was also through my love of Lucy that I became a better, kinder, more compassionate, more understanding person. Sometimes I look back and think of myself as a Grinch before Lucy, and Lucy helped my heart grow three sizes. And I appreciate Caitlin sharing with us in our talk today her own reflections on how the experiences she's had due to her dog Knox have helped her become a better person also. I'm excited for you to hear Caitlin's whole story, and I think that she's a very special person to have gone through what she went through. The word resilient comes to mind. Uh, She went through what could be a traumatic experience for some people, and instead of letting it harden her or make her angry about people, instead it was the opposite. She used her somewhat accidental but newfound spotlight to pay it forward and do good in the community and in the world. And much like Lucy was for me, when Knox came into Caitlin's life, nothing was ever the same again, but in a good way. Caitlin and I talk about her childhood experiences with animals, 
how Knox came into her life, and then the traumatic event that led to her starting the Finding Knox organization. We talk about Finding Knox's work in the community and how and why that work has now grown and expanded, including during COVID. We talk about what it's like for Caitlin working in an animal shelter and the experiences that she's had with her dog Knox doing humane education in schools around Baltimore. So let's get started with Caitlin Thomas of Finding Knox. So we are here today with Caitlin Thomas, the founder of Finding Knox. Hi, Caitlin. Hi. So I'm so excited to have you here and have you share your story. And I always like to start out asking people, were you someone who grew up with animals or was it something that came to you later in life? I grew up with animals and that's an understatement. (laughs) Um, My family, we had a revolving door of animals. I lived out in the country, so it was very different. But from the time I can remember, there were just cats coming inside uh, that just showed up on the porch. There were, you know, my parents were especially fond of huskies, but, you know, they would just come home with a husky that they saw online at a shelter. And then a couple weeks later, we had another friend. So I could go on about that for a long time. But yes, I grew up with animals. (laughs) So I actually heard I'm going to call it a rumor, and you can tell me if this is correct or not, that you had either like a neighbor or a babysitter who is named Kate, who's kind of like an OG in Baltimore Pitbull Rescue. Yeah, it gets a lot crazier than that, Erin. <laughs> but yes, this is true. <laughs> when I was young, uh, I would say, I don't even know, under 10 years old. My cousins were newborns, infants, and um, they had a babysitter named Kate uh, who lived across the street from them. And, you know, we probably crossed paths. She knew my family well and they knew her well, but her and I never really had any kind of long lasting interactions up until (laughs) Knox was stolen. So, um, yeah. Very, very, very interesting and, and just like wonderful aspect of this is is all the people involved and like how they just were connected in these really unique and insane ways. And I, I know we're going to talk about Knox and, you know, what happened, but she's a really, really, really huge part of that story. So it's funny that you asked me that first. <laughs> I happened to have run into her. It was it was probably last year and was just talking about the collaboration with Be More Dog. And she told me that she knew you, you know, from when you were a little kid. And I was like, oh, wow, that's really funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of coincidences, as people call them. <laughs> now, you have an adorable white pit bull named Knox, and the organization Finding Knox is named after him. Was Knox the first dog that you had on your own as an adult? He is the first dog that I've had on my own. I adopted him about a year after I started at the SPCA. He was mine and I was his and it was just destined to be. He is, he's my baby. I've I've had, you know, lots of cats in my life um, and still do, but he is my first and the only. And his name is actually Equinox. Oh, I never knew that. Most people don't. <laughs> you know, we had so many people that knew Knox as Knox. You know, we just we just call him Knox now. And so the way I understand it, and it, it was just about four years ago, you were at work one day, you came home, and Knox was gone. Yeah. Um, the first thing I noticed was that Knox was gone. I think it took me a few minutes to, like, figure out that the 
the house was actually like someone entered the house. Um, because my, my obviously initial thought and like gut reaction was like, where's Knox? But yeah, so I was at work, something happened during the day. It was definitely a break in and, you know, I'm sure Knox just trotted right on out the door. (laughs) Willingly. I wrote in my notes to myself, like, stomach drop moment. That's like the worst feeling in the world is when you go to look for your dog and they're not there. Absolutely. It was like unbelievable. You know, that moment was unbelievable. And after that, it was just a whirlwind. It felt like it lasted forever and no time at all. I mean, really was no time at all, but it was insane 72 hours. (laughs) And so was there other things that had like been stolen from your house also? Um, probably, but nothing significant. I mean, I didn't really have anything in there that I, I would miss necessarily except for my dog. So, um, but the house was definitely a mess and like there was, uh, the back window had been, wasn't open, but it it was when I got home. Anytime I think about it, it just sounds so terrifying. I mean, I just like the violation, you know, like, like, like one time somebody like stole a CD out of my car or something, you know, and it was like, how dare, how dare they, you know, and and, (laughs) like on that, like tiny microcosm, you know, level, like it's, you feel violated. So to have somebody, you know, come into your home and now your dog's missing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as I said, like, you know, I'm not, big on, I'm not to say you're big on material things. I totally understand what you're saying, but like, you know, I was just trying to rationalize like what, what happened, you know, and knowing full well that my dog is like the friendliest dog in the world and such a doof that like, he was probably like, Oh, grab my leash. Like, let's go for a walk. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I don't think it was malicious. The, the, you know, the dog being taken. I don't, I don't think it was malicious. Um, and you know, I'm, I also want to to always see the positive and things and, and kind of, you know, not make it personal, but, um, you know, I just, again, I know Knox and, and he is the friendliest dog ever and, and wants to make friends with everyone. (laughs) And so you just jumped right into action with trying to make sure that, that you got him back and you did, you said within 72 hours, but what was like the first thing that you were like, okay, this is what I have to do. I, called my partner at the time and I called a couple of friends and coworkers and, you know, just got on the phone telling people what was going on so I could get some help. And then um, I did call 911 because I was in a panic and some officers did come out to the house. But, you know, it was more so the community that came out in droves. I mean, every single person I know and like lots and lots of people I don't know were suddenly on the streets, like looking for, I want to say my dog, but our dog, Baltimore's dog. And it was like such a beautiful thing. It was right after the election it literally right after the election oh right four years ago yeah yeah it was november of 2016 so like it was the timing and having people just really be so supportive over you know a dog you know it was it was shocking but it was inspiring and so i guess had you started a facebook page at the time to help find knox it it didn't come much later but here's where kate callahan comes in so i am on the floor in my living room i can still picture it not the same living room as i have now but making a sign and and my phone rang and, and my phone was ringing off the hook and you know i was just hoping that the call would be someone with knox but it was kate at the other end of the line and she said um okay this is gonna sound strange but i know you 
and I'm going to help you get your dog back. And I was like, okay. Like at that point, I'm just, uh, you know, it felt like an angel. I was like, all right, <laughs> let's do it. Uh, you know, and, and she was like, so I'm the president of Jasmine's house and Knox was a project Mickey dog. And she was like, not only that, but I, I babysat you a couple times, but mostly your cousins. And I lived across the street from your family. And I was like, Oh, what? Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know, and she's the one who kind of, she walked me through it. I mean, she held my hand through it. It was, it was absolutely amazing. And she really encouraged me to, to push through and create that Facebook group. And I mean, she really coached me through the whole thing. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> And so, I mean, cause you were getting, you were on the news. I mean, I remember it got like coverage that, you know, p- people were really trying to help you, you know, get your dog back. Yeah. I think the first news station showed up the, the same night around 11 o'clock and I was on the 11 o'clock news. It was the first time I'd ever been on the news. I was so nervous, but I just, it was like nothing, nothing really mattered except just talking to people and trying to get, you know, knocks back. And then I think, I mean, it was shared. The woman from Charmed, the actress (laughs) shared it. And I was, when I saw that, I was like, wow, this is really, really big. This is a big thing. Oh, this was like viral, viral. <laughs> it was. It was viral. $8,000 was the reward fund that was raised in 48 hours. And it was just like, it was so overwhelming. I just let it happen. You know, we had people calling nonstop that people were seeing the signs people were seeing. I, I think lots of people hid in their homes for those three days who had dogs that looked like Knox <laughs> because they were scared someone was going to like tackle them and or their dog just because he had a similar face, you know? Yeah. That's why we got him back. It, it just like blew up. It went viral and everyone in Baltimore knew about it. <laughs> and so how did he, how did he make his way back to you? So the, really the plan was just, you know, whoever had him, I just wanted it to be clear that I wasn't going to stop looking for him and that I didn't want anything to come of it. I just wanted him back. You know, when it got really, really big, I think we were all just hoping that they would let him go. And they did. And so at 1 a.m., what, you know, less than 72 hours later, I got a phone call and, you know, somebody had my dog and he was only a couple blocks away. So I jumped out of bed where I wasn't sleeping in my socks and my pajamas and I ran two blocks and just picked him up and ran back home. (laughs) And did anybody get any of the reward money? I did ask. I was like, do you guys want the money? And they were like, no, 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 no. We returned that money. What was that reunion like? Were you just like, I mean, I would just be like crying hysterically. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was actually looking at the picture the other day and I mean, you it was just joy. It was nothing but joy. It was just, he was back home to me. I knew the future would be better because he was back. And because this happened, like I knew that. And even in that moment, I knew that he was so very special and was here for many reasons. (laughs) Sometimes there's just those dogs that just come into your life and just nothing's ever the same again. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That's Knox. And I know that's Knox for a lot of people. So I'm happy to share him. And so after all this experience, what I think is just even more amazing is that you decided you wanted to help pay it forward and help other people from being in this kind of situation. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely what it turned into. I will have to give credit here where credit is due. Kate Callahan, once again, the day after called me and she was like, you know, we need to meet up. Like we need to see each other in person. She's like, this 
went viral, Caitlin. Like this is, you have an opportunity here. You have a platform. You have thousands of followers on a Facebook page that was made two days ago. You, you need to do something with this. You need to do something. And I was like, I, I absolutely do. But like, what do I do? You know, my head was still completely in shambles. And, you know, she's like, well, you got to think about it and I'm going to help you. And so then we, we started finding Knox because that's already what the page was called. And it just made the most sense. And we started off as a microchipping organization. We really solely focused on microchipping because we, we found that to be the most relevant to keeping dogs in homes and, and really cementing that bond and being able to say this, this is part of my family. And it was wonderful. Starting off with the microchips made it easier to grow because we started off, you know, with something small. But again, I will get, just give that callback is, is Kate really was the one that inspired it. <laughs> I didn't know this was going to be like a Kate fast or anything like that, but <laughs> she'll like it. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. So that's why, that's why we started. And then, you know, I met Annie Pruitt. Yes, Annie Pruitt is the founder of Charm City Companions, a Baltimore-based organization, and she was our guest on podcast episode six. Again, like a, just alignment. I mean, all of these things are get thrown into your path for a reason. It's it's your decision whether or not you want to you want to grab them and and run with them or run beside them or you know if it's not right for you. But you know, it felt right when I met Annie. It was like you know that was the second thing. It felt it felt right when I met Knox and um, now Annie and and that put a whole a whole nother spin on it. It opened my eyes to so much more. And then the first clinic that we participated in was uh, Brooklyn Park. And that was in the spring. Yes, it was spring 2017 when Finding Knox first started volunteering at the Be More Dog Wellness Clinics to provide microchipping services. And I was just at that point addicted. I was like, this is everything that's right. I, I, I Not to say oh, I'm so happy my dog got stolen, but I just knew that, you know, there was so much more to come of this and that it already was such a good thing, you know? Yeah, like at least it makes you feel like mm-hmm. something something mm-hmm. good can come out of the bad perspective. You know, with our Be More Dog clinics, we had always wanted to have a, a station for your microchipping, make that a part of the clinic. And we just couldn't ever quite get it together. We spent so much time like looking up different companies and websites, and none of us really had any um, experience on the you know, like our dogs had been microchipped, but we didn't have any experience like on how you actually go about doing it. And it just seemed so overwhelming to us and we could just never quite get it together. So when we heard that that was the focus of finding Knox, we were like, oh my God, we have to make them a part of the clinic. And, you know, and it's just been such a wonderful partnership. And I I love seeing, seeing you guys out there and there's always like a long line. And I love that in addition to just administering like a microchip if somebody needs it, you're also like scanning to make sure that it works and helping them make sure that it's registered to the right person. Because all of these are things that everybody struggles with. I think. Mm-hmm. I, I think so too. I mean, most people don't know how to even update a microchip if, if there is one in there in their dog. You know, most people don't know how they work. So it was a learning process, but because I did work at the shelter, you know, I had a good grasp on how the registration worked and how to explain to people why it's so important. So I did have that benefit, which working at a shelter, like you have your hands in so many pots and, and, and you just get to be a Jane of all trades. (laughs) The microchipping thing, like it was like a niche, right? And it, 
it just allowed us the opportunity and you guys allowed us the opportunity to get in there, you know, dip our feet in and, and really become familiar with being in the community and providing these types of services. And it was just so wonderful that I would say every single person that has attended a Be More Dog Clinic that I know wants so badly to go back and then also, you know, go out with Annie and do more at the shelter people related. It was new for us because for our shelter workers, at least day in and day out, we have dogs who don't have people attached to them necessarily, at least not yet. So it was just, it was such a beautiful experience to be there for both people and their pets. So I will always be thankful for for you guys, for Pauline, for noticing and, and inviting us in. So happy to have you. <laughs> So when we have our Be More Dog wellness clinics, we're usually set up in a park or in a field, and sometimes there's a hundred or more dogs that are lined up waiting for services that are all barking at us. We have different tents or stations, and Finding Knox has the microchip station at these events. And when I think of microchips, I usually think of getting registered on a website. Do you guys use iPads? I don't know your process. Can you take me through what happens on site at the clinics? We actually don't use technology. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so we actually use pen and paper. And I also like this part of it and haven't really necessarily thought about changing it because it gives our volunteers the opportunity to really talk to people. You know, we're not looking at a screen. um, We're not just like automatically typing things in, but we're really writing things out, asking people how to spell their name and talking to people about their pets while we're microchipping them on the other side. We're building that relationship and then, you know, the next year we remember each other. But yeah, we manually write everything. You know, we have our microchip scanners, so we can look up on our phones if a chip is scanned, if an animal is previously chipped. We can look that up and find out which company and we'll provide that to the owner and we'll also offer to register it through the company that we use because the registrations are free. And, you know, it's not always easy for people to to get, you know, maybe people don't have access to an email address and such. So, you know, we, we do continue to do that registration for them rather than just giving them the, uh, the stickers and the information uh, to do it themselves. So it sounds like what I do where you're doing it all by hand and then you have to like go back home and do all the data entry there. Exactly. But I think like two years in, we're very thankful for for our volunteer who was doing this for two years. And I'm sure she's She's not as thankful for me for not purchasing a barcode scanner sooner. But uh, two years in, um, we purchased a barcode scanner, which makes it for me, like I'm more comfortable and confident in scanning in a microchip number because it's so long, but they're still typing in manually all of the client's information and then they can scan the number. Right. And I mean, you guys will do, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 mm-hmm. you know, people in a day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's no small feat. I, you know, I just want to make sure that, you know, we're not talking like one or two people. Like yeah. this is a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. I think we've almost done a thousand microchips since we started and largest percentage of those were at clinic because we were able to hit, you know, like you said, 50 to a hundred in one day in a couple of hours. Um, so that was a lot of data entry, but, um, (laughs) you have some time because the microchips are always backlogged to the organization. So, you know, occasionally I do get calls from a shelter because maybe an owner changed their phone number or phone was disconnected and they can't get in touch. Um, and we'll do some investigative work to try and find that person above what the shelters can do or what the information, um, they've been provided is. So it definitely is, 
helpful to have us on the back end because we want to make sure we're doing the most to reunite pets and owners. That's a big part of this. You can't just chip a dog and expect it to work that way. There are so many animals walking around with microchips that have never been registered. Right. And yeah, that was actually one of my questions was, do you get contacted? Like how frequently or how often are you getting contacted about a dog that got chipped at your clinic? Probably once every couple of weeks we get a call. Sometimes, you know, more often things come in waves and, you know, sometimes it's an owner surrender. Sometimes it's a stray. I've had a situation where, you know, the microchip number must have been wrong on our spreadsheet. So I looked at the microchip numbers that were close to that number and then called some neighbors and then we were able to find the owner. So really shelters, they will call the microchip company, but they won't just stop there. If there is, you know, a broken number or they're just not able to get in touch, they will contact us. So they'll send us emails as well. So like if, if an animal comes into a shelter, we have a inbox specifically for that. Cause I would say it happens double the amount of time that we're needed. So that means it's working, right? right. <laughs> no, that's great. So, yeah, so you mentioned, and we've had Annie from Charm City Companions on the podcast before telling her story. And, you know, so her organization is is out and a lot of times they're going door to door in different neighborhoods throughout Baltimore and just seeing, do you have pets? What do you need help with? What can we do? And I know, especially I know since the pandemic, but I think even before then that Finding Knox was also doing more of that kind of work. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So like I kind of alluded to earlier, we, have really grown from being a microchipping organization to a community-oriented organization, and large in part due to my being connected with Annie through Katie Flory, also a, an incredible human being who works at the Maryland SPCA. She's a director. She's definitely incredible. Yeah, she's amazing. And she makes a lot of these things happen. Um, so she connected me with Annie and I, you know, started going out with her uh, every couple of weeks and I really enjoyed it. And we started sharing resources. That's what this is all about, collaboration. I mean, if you look at animal welfare five years ago versus now, like we're in the place we are because of collaboration, you know, collaboration Absolutely. between the SPCA, Be More Dog, Charm City, like we're now working so closely together and we're able to make a much larger impact. So, you know, I saw that and I, I you know, we have people volunteering for us who want to do other things. So why not, you know? just talk about all the things we can be doing. So I started going out with her more frequently. And then, you know, we started talking about how we could really, really partner in a way that would create a, a, a more of an effect. And I live in Park Heights. So I was like, I would love to do more in Park Heights. So that's kind of where I fit in. And Charm City is is a beautiful, beautiful organization modeled off. Uh, well, Annie is is help to create the pets for life model, um, the HSUS, right. uh, organ. Yes. Um, and so learning about that and kind of like reflecting on my journey into sh the shelter work and then into the community work, uh, in relation to animal welfare, um, all of the pieces are just connected together, uh, like a beautiful little puzzle. Um, and Annie, you know, absolutely was a huge catalyst to that for me. So um, you mentioned since the shutdown, uh, yeah, we've been working like very closely together since because the work 
not that it wasn't relevant before, but it, you know, was just glaringly, glaringly relevant. And, and, um, if there weren't barriers to resources previously, you know, now it's even more serious than ever. So we knew that we were needed. We knew that we needed to really stand together and, you know, create something to address this new need. So uh, we built a website and we started, you know, the spay neuter days and the central deliveries. So we were pretty much all in it all together. Because you were even delivering like uh, dog food and cat food and litter and things like that um, out in the community. Yeah, we were doing essential deliveries. Um, I mean, we were doing up to some weeks we would deliver or, you know, we, we also did some community like where they were giving uh, people food out. We would partner uh, with human service organizations um, and and do food boxes, pet food boxes there. So I would say 40 families a week between deliveries and, and those events. And um you know, not just food, you know, people needed vet care, people needed uh, consultations, people needed behavior advice, you know, because people were home all the time, animals were stressed out, there was, there was so much shelters were closed, you know, so people didn't know where to go. Um, and, and some of these things, you know, we were like, wow, there's an opportunity here to promote community fostering, you know, to get people at home involved. And so, you know, addressing that need and and just having more resources because we were keeping pets out of shelters, we were able to make a bigger impact and just help a lot more people all over the city. So wonderful. You just said something that I, I, I think I understand what you're saying. And when you talk about community fostering, can you tell me more about that? Sure. So Annie talks about this a lot and, and it's true. I mean, I, I've seen it more times than I can count. Like when we're out in the community and, and talking to people about where they got their pets, you know, so often it's, you know, community rescue. Like, you know, he wandered into my house or I had a neighbor who was moving and couldn't take this dog or, you know, an accidental litter of kittens. So, uh, you know, so many people in the community are, are rescuers and, and animals, you know, had nowhere else to go. So kind of making that more of a, of a, formal thing, like promoting it, providing resources for people to take care of pets in their homes, whether it be because, you know, maybe a family member was sick or hospitalized due to COVID or other circumstances, having to travel to take care of family kittens. It, it was kitten season. I mean, that was right. scary for us at the shelter. We're like, what's going to happen? But, you know, people stepped up and took care of their neighbor's pets or, you know, maybe not even their neighbor. We had some, um, so a few people who foster for local shelters who, because there weren't animals going into shelters, you know, their houses were open. They had an open room. And, and so we created this Facebook group, Charm City Cares About Cats and Kittens. And, you know, a lot of people were offering to take animals temporarily and they did. We've, had a quite a few number of kittens fostered out in the community during that time that you know the organization was supporting um and so animals weren't weren't showing up at the shelter i just love hearing these kinds of stories and i've talked about it in other podcast episodes probably with annie but just in general too because i feel like that that's something that isn't widely known that 
that there's a lot of informal rescue that's going on in communities all across, certainly Baltimore, and I'm sure the whole U.S., of people who are just taking in an animal that they found, taking in their neighbor's animal for whatever reason. Just they're not doing it through an organization. They're not getting any kind of extra financial, you know, support or help or 501c3, mm-hmm. you know, right off. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just doing it out of the good of their heart because it's the right thing to do. And they might not have very much, but what they do have, they're willing to share. Mm-hmm. And so I just love anytime that, you know, we can get spread the word that, that this is a thing that's happening all across the country. Um, I just want to, I wish more people were aware of that because, you know, sometimes there's just negative, I don't know, or just wrong information or stereotypes or, or something. And I, I hope that we can can spread the word that there's so much good and beautiful things happening among people who don't even have a lot to share. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You're so right about it. And like, I would even go as to say it's the norm. Like that is the hundreds of people that I talk to. That is the most common answer when you ask somebody where they got their animal. Absolutely. And yeah, you're right. People just don't understand that. And it's, it can be a very sad thing and a frustrating thing uh, when people don't understand that, you know, we've had a good number of people who just weren't comfortable calling a shelter or, you know, going to a vet because they, they felt as if they were going to be judged and, you know, had bad experience in the past with animal control or, you know, People want just like if something were wrong with Knox, like I would need support. You know, I couldn't deal with it by myself. But it hurts to think that people aren't asking for help or seeking help because the fear of judgment. And maybe we can just help (laughs) spread the word. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Listen to the podcast. I'm sure it's been said. I was actually listening to to a podcast episode earlier um, and I just randomly chose one and it was, it was really interesting. It was, you were talking to, uh, her name was Michelle Soroki. Yeah. And I don't remember what you asked her exactly, but it, it was something to the effect of, you know, when did you decide to grow your organization to, you know, be a national thing? And, and she talked about Expo and, you know, Expo was, huge for me. And it was just, it it was, it it was really, it, it confirmed, I guess, the power, the, the power behind getting animal welfare people together to collaborate because her experience was very similar to mine. And when I, I went to the same expo as her Um, and it changed my life. Yeah. It was, it was very interesting how coincidental it was because I changed as a person when I went to expo and, you know, I'm, very grateful for that because I will tell you, I'm definitely a better person who's more prepared to do this work and, and, and do it in the right way. And, and the only way, the way that's going to work because of that. And I just loved that she had the same experience and we're just strangers. That's amazing. I'm going to have to tell her that. (laughs) Yes, please do. (laughs) You know, what's so it's really interesting. When I first started, you know, volunteering in the pit bull and in the rescue kind of world, you know, sometimes I'm like, I cringe a little and, you know, and I don't know if you've seen this in the shelter world also, but of just like how you had certain ideas or how maybe other people have certain ideas of mm-hmm. like how things were and why there's so many dogs in the shelters and, and whatnot. Yeah. And for me, 
it was it wasn't expo but uh we saw this man named Tio Hardiman who worked with he was originally from Safe Streets Chicago and he ran the Chicago branch of what was kind of like the precursor to Pets for Life and we saw him speak about the need to help in the communities and 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 Pauline and I both went and saw him speak and we saw Lori I think it's Lori Weiss from Downtown Dog Rescue in Los okay. Angeles she spoke at like the same conference and like that's when Pauline and I were like oh my god this is what we need to do and that was this is what sort of birthed the clinics the be wow. more dog clinics oh. So there's something magical and powerful it, about going to those conferences. For sure. And it just clicks, you know, and you're right. Like I, there was a lot of reflection <laughs> that needed to happen after that because you're just like, wow, wow. I was, I was doing all of it wrong, but also now I have an opportunity to change. Right. And now I have this new perspective and you, you just have this clarity of this is what needs to be done. And I know that, you know, there's these wonderful people doing it already. Like it can be done, you know, and, and I specifically, you know, well, I went with Annie, (laughs) which was so wonderful because she introduced me to Amanda Arrington, who is also a founder of the Pets for Life program. And they did a seminar. It was called Putting the Human Back in Humane. And at the very beginning of the presentation, she had a photo of a dog, just a dog in a yard. There were trees behind it. And, you know, she said, what's missing from this photo? And then she clicked a button and like a human uh, appeared behind the dog, you know, clearly his, his person, the dog's person. And that was so very powerful for me because when I got into animal welfare, I was one of those people who said, yeah, I don't like people, you know, I like animals. And someone once said, if that's the reason you got into this field, you need to get out. And, you know, I wholeheartedly agree with that now, but historically animal welfare is not very welcoming. And the approach is a Band-Aid approach, right? Like you are not fixing it. You're not looking towards the future. We need to put ourselves out of business. Shelters need to put ourselves out of business. And we can't do that unless we change the narrative uh, for this work because it's been so, so, so long that it's been disregarding the human aspect of this, the human component of it. Like you were, I think you, you were getting at. So how long have you worked in animal welfare and and what started you in that direction? Um, That's another story of uh, how human connections can impact your life. So when I got out of college, my first job was in development at Big Brothers Big Sisters, which I don't think exists any longer, but um, you're probably familiar. Uh, It's a it's a nonprofit that has a, you know, a national or, you know, overarching uh, company. And then we had local chapter. So I worked for them and one of the caseworkers for, you know, bigs and littles. So she was managing this uh, match. She told me, she said, one of my big sisters works at the Maryland SPCA. Like, I know you love animals. She's leaving her position and it's going to be open. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I, I wasn't really digging development work. I, it was not my thing. So why not? You know, I was 24 years old. So I applied and got it. And that's when I got into animal welfare. I mean, like I grew up with animals. 
I loved them. I didn't understand them. I know <laughs> that now, <laughs> but, um, you know, that was, that was it. <laughs> I could never turn back now. And how long have you worked there? Uh, six and a half years. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're the foster coordinator? Yes. I am the first official foster coordinator and still the foster coordinator, but we have a much larger team now. <laughs> what does that entail? Basically any animal that comes into the shelter and isn't ready for adoption. We are a limited intake facility, so we don't take animals that we don't have capacity for, you know, space, money, resources. So, you know, but the SPCA is very fortunate to be able to do a lot, right? We have lots of resources um, and support. So with our foster program, it was very small when I started, but the more foster parents we have, the more animals we can take. So we're able to pull from local shelters and, you know, take more owner surrenders for people who are in crisis and, you know, just can't, can't care for their animals. You know, we're able to do a lot more through the foster program. So, you know, it might be kittens, it might be puppies, but, you know, the highest need is for, for adult animals, medical cases, behavior cases, because that's how how we can really relieve pressure uh, from the open admission shelters. So that way, you know, easier to place animals can be placed because they can't just close down and say, oh, can't take any more dogs today. Um, that's not how that works. <laughs> right. So tell us what it's like to work at an animal shelter. What's your favorite part? Do you have a least favorite part? Do you have any stories you want to share with us? Well, six and a half years at a shelter is like 60 years. <laughs> um, I would say... A few of my favorite things, learning, you start and you just run. I work in, you know, the foster coordinator job is very unique in that I'm pretty much have my hand, my hands in every department. I am most often an exam, so I get to be a tech, uh, but I also work very closely with behavior and adoptions, kennel. So, you know, from day one, I just jumped in, started working with animals, started learning about animals. They're, you know, the staff there and, you know, leadership are really open to, to sharing and, you know, modeling, you know, what it, what it's like to work at the shelter and, and, and how to, you know, coworkers too. Like we have people that have been there for 10, 12 years. So, you know, there was so much to learn, but a lot of people to learn from. So that's one of my favorite things is that, you know, you, it's not a boring job, obviously. And I have plenty of stories. I have plenty of gross stories, sad stories, happy <laughs> stories, stories you don't want to hear. But <laughs> I think at the end of the day, because our work is so different and emotional, but also like practical, you create a bond with the place you are, but also the people you work with. Um, and I think that's really special. And you start to share these experiences that kind of just like when in the community, you know, it's like the love and the bond that we have for our pets or for animals in general, it, it just goes beyond those things. So you, you know, you find yourself with people you would have never, ever, ever been around purposefully. And, and you really, you learn how to be a better human, how to be a better shelter worker. And I really do accredit all of this to, to being at the SPCA. So it's hard to pin something down specifically, but just the opportunities. I mean, me and Knox are a certified pet partners therapy team, and that's such a wonderful thing to be a part of, but nothing I would have like sought out, you know, and the SPCA provided that opportunity to us. 
So it, working at a shelter is, is a lot of different things, but <laughs> it feels at the end of the day, it feels good most of the time. <laughs> so that's right. You and, and Knox do uh, humane education. Yes, we do. We, um, you know, we started not long after I adopted him, our behavior manager at the time um, said, you know, you got something special there. Uh, I want to connect you with someone I know who who has a who volunteers for an organization that does humane education. That was before the SPCA really launched our humane ed program. So we we started with Project Nikki, and then you know Katie Flory really 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 led the charge for for humane ed through the SPCA. So about a year later, Knox became uh, with Katie's dog Lucy one of one of two of the first uh, ambassador dogs for the Maryland SPCA, and that was his. Big head is on the back of the RV. <laughs> um, but he's been in schools. Yeah, he's really missing it right now. But he's been in schools for, you know, five years now. And um, usually two to three times a week uh, during the school year. Oh, wow. That You must really be missing that. <laughs> he's really missing it. <laughs> he's missing people in general. So I've done some of Be More Dogs Humane Education programs in the past. We do a lot of things like this is how you properly greet a dog or this is dog body language. What kind of humane education do you and Knox do? So with Project Mickey, we did, you know, we did safe greetings and body language because the Humane Ed program for the SPCA is more of a long-term program and we're working with the same kids every time. We have lots of different lesson plans um, and exercises that we do. We, we do a lot of reading. And when we have a group of kids sitting around Knox, super excited to pet him, you know, they pay attention and they read and they participate. And, you know, at the very end, they get to meet Knox again or see Knox. Um, let me tell you, they love it. But when Knox walks into whatever school he's in that year and he hears kids screaming his name, he thinks he's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> he loves that. That is his job. That is where he wants to be. He feels like a celebrity. I mean, he is now a celebrity, but <laughs> so yeah, so we do lots of stuff, but I think the, the impact it has is, is, well, I guess, you know, positive, positive experiences with, with dogs like Knox, but, but also just wanting to be there. You know, school isn't always the most fun place to be. I just love the humane education programs and I just wish they could be in every school mm -hmm. and there's so many benefits. And again, it's almost, you know, it's a huge benefit to, to us, you know, the grownups too, to, you know, to see the kids get so excited yeah. and, uh, and to see, see that it's like, it's so heartwarming and it just like gives you hope for the future. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Truly it, it, it does. And, um, you know, I never thought I would be in schools. I'm not really child oriented. Not to say, oh, oh I, I hate children. I'm not saying that. But um, but yeah, I, I'm not a kid person either. I get right. It. But it's the dog aspect of it. It's just like this is why I love this work. This is why I love working for a shelter. This is why I love volunteering for Charm City, having Finding Knox. It's like it is undeniably the one thing aside from now you know, COVID-19, that we 
all have this incredible feeling when, when we talk about our pets or when we talk about a dog that we just met or, you know, when we pet a dog um, or someone asks to pet our dog, like it's just like almost like nothing else exists in that moment. And so being able to experience that on all levels and, you know, with kids, it's just like, even if most of the time I don't exist because Knox is so much more important. And I agree. I, I just love being associated with him. Right. But seeing that, you know, and God, all it takes is a dog. Like, you know, like that's it. <laughs> I always say, you know, one of the biggest like lessons I've learned from my dogs is about like being present. And that was what I was thinking of. Like they just, they really help anchor me in the moment, you know, like, because I can get like anxious and I can get you know, all over the place. And it took me until I was 25 to have a dog and to, you know, <laughs> really stop and feel grounded yeah. in that moment. And, it, you know, there's so many other lessons they've taught me too, but that's definitely a huge one that always sticks out with me. Yeah, absolutely. I, when I first got Knox, you know, when he was just mine, yeah, I was going through a lot of emotional, you know, just experiences and I was young and, I couldn't, I mean, he just, he was so stable. I mean, sometimes he really seems to be a statue. He's not, he's real and living and breathing. He's just lazy. Um, <laughs> but him just being there, you know, always felt better. There was this presence that was just so kind and, and real and just, I mean, good, you know? So it, it just makes you feel better wherever you are. Oh my goodness. I'm so glad I got to talk to you. <laughs> too. I just appreciate you sharing your story with all of us. Oh, goodness. Thank you. Thank you again to Caitlin for sharing the Finding Knox story with us. I feel so fortunate to live in Baltimore and have had the opportunity to meet people like Caitlin and all the other amazing people that we even mentioned in the episode today. I know how many amazing people there are doing good work to help pets and their people in Baltimore. And I know that there are people all over the U.S. and even all over the world who are inspired by the love of their dog to do something amazing and awesome in the world. And I look forward to 2021 to share more of these stories with you. You know, when I think about the holidays, one of the things it usually means for me is connection. The chance to see and hear from people who you care about, but you might not always get to see every day, whether, you know, it's your dad's third cousin or your grandmother's great aunt or whoever that is for you. And so if COVID is impacting your holiday plans like it is mine, I hope that you'll still find a way to have that connection with people in your life. If nothing else, maybe we can thank 2020 for making us get creative and think outside the box, right? Connection and collaboration were definitely themes that kept coming up for me when I was listening back to Caitlin's story. And I'm actually really glad that I got to have that conversation with her about the old adage or stereotype that there's people who work in animal welfare because they love animals, but not people. But I think we're finally starting to see this turning of the tides that no matter how much we love animals, it takes people to help animals. It takes people to adopt animals. It takes people to help people keep their animals in their homes. And I will tell you from my own personal experience that any time that I've taken a chance to opening my heart to connecting with more people, even people that I thought maybe I don't have anything in common with, I've never regretted it. And Caitlin certainly had that choice to make also when someone broke into her house and her dog was missing, she could have let it 
turned her, make her hard, make her think, screw people, screw people that break into other people's homes. But instead, she opened her heart, and when she went viral, she used her platform for good. She used her platform to pay it forward. And I just want to always try to keep that in the back of my mind, that when I'm at any kind of crossroads where I can either turn my back or open my heart, I hope that I will always choose to open my heart. My husband Tim and I were talking the other day again about what a weird year 2020 has been and I said to him, one of the funny things about this year is that I've probably spent the least amount of time in traffic than I ever have in my entire adult life. I'm somebody that has a good 45 minute each way commute so I'm usually at minimum spending at least 90 minutes a day in the car, which is why I like podcasts so much. And that's not counting if I get stuck in any kind of like accident or traffic situation. And my husband also has a commute, at least, you know, 30 to 40 minute commute each way every day also. But between working remotely and just generally not having much traffic on the road these days, I spent the least amount of time in my car as I have in a, a really long time. And he was saying the same thing. And I was also realizing that I've spent the most time with my dogs this year that I have of any other year due to being home more. And I have such gratitude for all those little extra moments, for all the extra car rides I got to take with Penny this year, for all the extra times that I took a few minutes to lay on the floor at the front door next to the dogs. I'm so grateful for all the extra moments that I got to have with my dogs this year, and if nothing else, if I can take one good thing out of 2020, I am certainly grateful for all the extra moments with my dogs and all the extra memories that we got to make that we wouldn't have if I had been at work like normal. And so as we close out 2020, I hope that you can find some gratitude in your heart for all the extra moments that you got to have with your dogs this year too. So this will conclude the last episode of the Believe in Dog podcast for the year of 2020. To find out more about the Finding Knox organization, make sure you check the show notes for links to their website and Facebook page. And we'll also have a photo gallery of photos that Caitlin provided of her and Knox and of all their different projects from humane education to the microchipping clinics on the Believe in Dog podcast Facebook page and Instagram page. So you can find us at Believe in Dog podcast on Facebook and Believe in Dog podcast with underscores on Instagram. Remember, you can send me an email at Erin, E-R-I-N, at BelieveInDogPodcast.com or send me a message on Facebook or Instagram. I've gotten a lot of nice messages about some of the last few episodes and I really appreciate it. Remember to support this podcast. You can always leave a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts. I'll put a link to that in the show notes also. All of your ratings and reviews really do help more people find the podcast and I genuinely appreciate the time that you take to leave these. So this is Erin Scott from the Believe in Dog podcast, sending you a happy holidays and lots of hugs and belly rubs. Mm -hmm.